is thirsty, Jesus has come. Rivers of living water, he that believeth, Scripture has said. Okay, let's begin. Let's turn to Song of Solomon. Now, I don't know if anyone has started to read this book or has read it, but by far, Song of Solomon is the most difficult book in the Bible to interpret, and there is a lot in the book that is very, I don't want to use the word cryptic, but it's, it's there, and you say, why? So, first of all, I just want to give you a background of the book and give you some thoughts uh, before we even start into verse 1. But this is considered poetic Hebrew literature. It's said, thanks, I, I got something. Uh, it's said to be broken down into seven idols. So I have a definition of an idol if you don't know what an idol is. It's a short description in verse, poem, or writing of a picturesque scene or incident, especially in rustic life. And if you actually look at that, that became known, there was a Greek poet, I believe he lived in Sicily, and he, he wrote poems in this form. But of course, Song of Solomon, the book was written many, many years before that in this type of a form. There, as far as the interpretation of the Song of Solomon, there are three basic ways of interpretation. One would be the naturalistic theory. Now, I'm going to read these to you rather than just talk here. The naturalistic theory, they believe that the book is simply a collection of erotic songs of love put together on the ground of literacy merit and without any allegorical meaning, though possibly intended to describe ideal human love. That's one. And there are, there are people, there are believers, Christians, that fall into all these categories when it comes to this book, uh, interpreting this book. Then you have the allegorical theory, which ignores as no concern whether the poem has any historical foundation in a real love suit between Solomon and a Shulamite, and they treat the whole of the book as a purely figurative and mystical fiction. And then you have the typical interpretation, and that basically falls in between both of the other two, uh, which recognizes the distinctive elements in each of the other two without going to the extreme of either. The writing has a historical basis, which I believe is true. This is historically uh, a book written at that time uh, related to Solomon and this Shulamite. It also has, it says, it also has a religious purpose and a spiritual content. So I, I believe that is probably closer to what we're going to be dealing with than anything. Now, as far as allegorical, the means of interpretation is one thing, but you can set forth an allegory in a certain thing and not have the view and believe it's total, you know, fiction. Now there are four, let me, let me go through this, this is something a little different. There are four main interpretations 
of this book pertaining to what's going on. The most common understanding is that it is the courtship and marriage of Solomon and the Shulamite. Now, this is very common with certain Christian churches where they will look at the book that way, and they will look at the interaction and relate that to marriage and and so on, and that's basically it. That's what they they view it that way, and, and, and that's the end of it. The other interpret, inter, interpretation pictures this, which I, I was not aware of. I've studied the book, read the book, I'm not seeing this, and I don't see it, uh, but I'll mention it anyway. It, it's a love triangle between the beloved woman, her beloved shepherd, and the king appealing to her. Okay. And the other figurative interpretation... Um, would be the relationship between Israel and God. And that's how the Jews interpret the book. They interpret it as um, Solomon being God, you know, Elohim, whoever. And then the Shulamite being Israel. That's their view of it. And then, of course, that of Christ and the church. Okay. Now... It has been viewed, listen, as a poem about love. It has been viewed strictly as related to marriage principles, uh, seeing the wonder and beauty of natural love given by God for man to enjoy. Uh, It has been viewed as the idolization of human love and a frank discussion of love between a married couple. There is no mention of God at all in the book, anywhere. All the chapters you read, you'll never see you know, God in the Hebrew, dealing with the Hebrew words or the English words. Uh, there's no mention of any deity. Uh, there's no direct theological teaching that comes out of the book of Song of Solomon. Uh, and just by reading the book of Song of Solomon, you wouldn't even know that there's a God. So this is very interesting that this book is in the Bible when you really look at it and start to look at the means of exegesis, which is the critical explanation of Scripture. See, when we teach any other book and we look at uh, other parts of Scripture, you compare Scripture with Scripture, and there's a flow between the books, the Old Testament and New Testament. You go into Acts, they quote from the Old Testament, uh, and so forth. But you don't see that in the Song of Solomon. Uh, And then there's no other place in the Bible where you have this exotic language that you see in this book. Now, there is a psalm that I believe relates to this and is very, very close. And I I haven't really studied it, per se, to, to hold it up against Song of Solomon and look at some of the verses. But I just read over it. And I see some correlations in some of the verses are very, very similar. And that's Psalm 45, talking about the the royal love. um, And the primary reference here in Psalm 45 uh, is Solomon. But the ultimate reference, of course, is Christ. Now, some say that you cannot uh, use the Song, Song of Solomon comparing Solomon and the Shulamite to Christ and the church because that Solomon is not a good example because he had multiple wives, as we know. 
uh, and because of his sinful acts and so on. So you cannot compare him, you know, Solomon in this to Christ. But Jesus said in the Gospels and quoted from the book of Jonah. And, and there are, he said, the scribes and the Pharisees came out to him and they said, show us a sign. And Jesus said, well, as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, I will be in, the, you know, in, in the earth. In you know, three days, so he 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 draws from that, and you see there is a a typology that comes from Jonah in in his circumstance there over to what Christ was going to experience when he died, and then you look at David. David in the Bible is a type of Christ, but David was not perfect. David was a murderer and an adulterer, but yet he still uh, there were areas of his life where you can draw the typology between David and Christ. And then Solomon, let's turn, put a marker in Song of Solomon, and turn to 2 Samuel 7. And I wanted to, sh to show you this because this here even shows that Solomon here, um, can, th th this particular scripture can uh, relate to Christ. Verse 12 when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, uh, this is David, I believe he's speaking to here. Uh, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his uh, kingdom forever. So when it says here he will establish Solomon's throne forever, that is a type of of Christ. Christ's throne was established forever. So because Jonah sinned and he had anger and he had rebellion, because David sinned and he committed adultery and he killed Uriah, it does not mean that you cannot draw a typology from their lives. And so too, I believe that with the Song of Solomon here, uh, even though we see that Solomon, uh, as you go on in his life and you go into uh, Ecclesiastes and, and toward the end of his life, you see that he is drawn away. His heart is far from the Lord. He has this great wisdom, but yet and he, even, he even understands that all is a vanity, vanity of vanity. All is a chase after vanity. And, he, and a person can understand that and still follow after vanity. But that does not mean that you cannot draw a type from that individual's life, from a certain area, certain characteristics seen there. So I wanted to, to bring that out because that are, that's some of the main arguments against looking at the book the way we're going to look at it. And as you read the book, and by the way, your homework assignment will be to read, I, I would like you to read a couple chapters a week, and I'm going to say to read it in the New King James. I don't want you to read it in any, any other, you can read it in another translation, but primarily I want you to read it in the New King James. And the reason I say that is because when I, I checked 12 probably 10 to 12 different translations. And one of the problems with understanding the Song of Solomon 
is that you don't know who's speaking. Because sometimes in, one, in the same verse, it changes. Who's speaking changes. Like verse 4, I believe it is. You have at the beginning of the verse where the Shulamite's speaking. And then the next part of the verse, the daughters of Jerusalem speak. So, you know, unless you have a Bible that breaks that down. And I don't believe any of them have that in them. Does any of your Bibles, other than your, your New King James, has that? Where it tells you who's speaking. Okay, well, there aren't, there aren't many of them. So I would like you to get a new King James to uh, give you an idea. Now, I want to say this also, that that does not necessarily mean that they, the translators made an attempt to try to clear up for the common reader who is speaking. But in some of the verses... If you really study them and look at them and look at the words, there, there are, let me, let me back up a second. They use singular and plural words in the verse to try to ascertain who is speaking. So if it's a plural, it would be like the daughters of Jerusalem. So if it's singular, it could be um, Solomon or the Shulamite. But even that sometimes is not truly accurate. Because some of the verses can be interpreted as either one speaking. Now, I'm trying not to confuse you, but I'm trying to help you here. So, you know, and I actually might bring it out as we go that certain verses you can actually, there's truth in the, in the verse related to two different people saying that particular thing. You can find some other truth from, different, from the different person speaking. So it will help you when you're reading to use the New King James where it's going to help you to see who is speaking. But as I said, that's not set in stone because it, the original writing does not tell you who's speaking. See? So when they, when they break that down, they do the best they can using the Hebrew language and, and so on. So we're going to be drawing upon the typology here that Solomon is a type of Christ. Now, I'm not denying at all that this, that, that this is not a literal thing here where Solomon wrote it, and this was related to Solomon and the Shulamite and the daughters of Jerusalem and so on. I believe that's true. But just having that in the Bible or just having something that relates to human love, just that alone, for me... I don't see that, did somebody give me some water? Okay, you did, thank you. I don't see that as being the only means of looking at that. There are those who just look at it that way. Christians, born-again Christians, teachers. Uh, for, for the Lord to put things in the, in the Bible, I believe, that there are other things flowing and moving down deeper. So there's truth there to be gleaned, there's truth to be seen, but we don't want to take the Bible and just, you know, like they, they have this, these, some of these, it's like the allegorical view. I told you they believe it's fiction, so they'll take the scripture and, you know, they'll put this spin on that that it's like, wow, it's like way, 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 way out in left field. And I don't believe that that's correct. But there is hidden truth here, and I believe that's the main issue why, you know, people that read it and people that study it and people that teach it 
if you don't see something deeper than the main verse, you know, your hair is like a flock of goats. I mean, come on, really? Does that mean my hair smells? <laughs> so, I mean, if you take that literal, now you're dealing with a poem, you understand. This is just not, you know, you don't walk up to your girlfriend or if you're dating someone, you, you know, your hair is like a flock of goats. Just say, what? <laughs> so, so there's more going on here than, than just the surface thing. I believe there's more going on than just, you know, these, this poetic thing here, the idols, broken down into scenes. I mean, that may be there. I've never studied it and looked at it that way, but there's, there's something much more here in the book. And as I said, the typology that I see is Christ and the bride, those who are in the relationship, those who want to move further in the Lord. Uh, and I see it play out in the book that there is for you as a Christian and for myself as a Christian, there is a, a further place for us in the Lord. There is a place the Lord wants to draw us, and that is into this relationship with him, closer and closer to him. And then you have, of course, in that the, the bride, the betrothed, who eventually will become the bride. And there are those who believe just because you are a Christian that you are part of the bride of Christ. And there are many different places in the scripture where Jesus teaches. For example, and we'll probably look at this, in Matthew 25, where it talks about the five foolish and the five wise virgins. Why the parable? Because he's showing us something that it is possible to be a virgin, pure, and not direct your steps or direct your heart in a way in which you are prepared when the Lord comes to enter into this marriage. Now, I'm going to get way ahead of myself here, but that's okay. I have been looking at this for years, seeing this in the scriptures. And I am not sure that the marriage is future only. Well, yes, it is future, but I said future only. It very well may be that we move in that relationship now, here, in this betrothal and in this preparation, and that we are already joined to him, but the consummation of that is future, later on, like you see in Revelation. So, I mean, that's possible. Because a person who is in this relationship with the Lord. Now, I'm just, I'm just not talking about being born again or going to church or reading your Bible or studying, praying. Uh, not just that. In the heart, there is a connection to the Lord and that there is this draw from him that is answered by the heart of the Christian. And that answer to follow along with that drawing, and order your steps aright. As it says, the psalmist says, you order your steps correctly, based, of course, upon you know, the word of the Lord to you, 
And, and as you do that, and you go through different things in your life, as we all do, that there, there is this preparation that's taking place. The, the Christian might not even be aware of that. They might not be, be aware of the, the bigger scene. They might just be aware of the Lord showed me to do this, and I'm going to do it, their obedience. And that's really all you need. You, know, you, you just do what the Lord shows you to do, and you follow through with that, and you, you walk with him, in the good, in the, in the bad, whatever. And in, in that way, in that path, the Lord does his, his job. He prepares the heart. Now, in the natural, when you have a, a, a man and a woman, it's different in our, our culture, but back then they would have this long time of, I think it was almost a year or so, leading up to the marriage. And different things would would occur where you know she's being prepared for her for the groom, and so in your life and in my life, we can be satisfied where we are. We can be satisfied with our Christian walk. We can be satisfied with doing the norm, coming to church. Uh, but see, church is to play a part in this preparation. It's to help you. In the final analysis, church is not going to do it for you. What is going to be for you and for me to prepare us is our relationship, uh, our obedience, all of that, walking with the Lord, all of that that he sets forth in front of each of us in our life that will bring us and bring our hearts to a place where we are prepared for him. Now, now, not when we die and go to heaven, and not prepared for the rapture. There are a lot of people that want the rapture, but I, I think they're going to be very surprised if they live their lives and they're making their own choices and they haven't, like it says in John 12, it, you know, the seed hasn't fall, fallen into the ground and died, them, their life, to bring forth fruit. So when the Lord comes back, well, of course, he's going to catch them up and they'll go to heaven and they'll ever be with the Lord. But the marriage is different. That's something different. Going to heaven is not the marriage. The marriage is, is far beyond that. Uh, the five foolish virgins came. They knew they missed something. You know that. They, they knew they missed something. That was why they came and they knocked. But it was too late. Too late. There's a scripture in the Old Testament, we know was interpreted or written in Hebrew, the New, in Greek. When you go to the Greek Bible, the Septuagint, they translate because that's the language I know, just like we, we have the English, old and new. Septuagint is the Greek translation of the entire Bible for, for them. In the Greek, the, um, the phrase that the Lord shut the door in Matthew 25 is the same phraseology that you see in, in um, Genesis where God shut the door of the ark when Noah went in. Sa same thing. And when that door was shut, the people could have came and pounded on the outside. They were screaming. They were drowning. But the door was shut. It was too late. So that same thought is moving there. 
And, and so that's a warning to all Christians, but not all Christians take it as such, or they, they think because I'm, I'm born again, that now that qualifies me in this marriage, but it doesn't necessarily qualify them. I mean, just calling upon the name of the Lord will take you to heaven, but it may not qualify you for you know, the marriage. So there are certain things in the preparation that must take place in everybody's life. See, the, 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 uh, the field is level, the playing field, for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. Well, this person knows more about the Bible. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean a thing. Oh, you know, they're, they're preachers. They, they, they preach. and That doesn't mean anything. They have to deal with the same thing that everybody else does, and they have to walk in obedience just like everybody else. It doesn't matter if you sit in the pew or you teach or preach. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. The field is level. So the Lord deals with each person on a personal level to, to bring out certain things for them that will help them qualify now and later. This book here is shrouded, shrouded. The truth in here is shrouded in these words that in some verses don't seem to even make sense. But if we can look at this, when you read it, think about relationship. The Lord, what he desires for you, you know, uh, how he may react to you, or, or maybe not react, but he, he will act a certain way to you in order to elicit some reaction from you. That's what I always say. And our desire our mistakes, all these different things. You'll see some of them here. And as far as the first idol, they call it, the first chapter and part of the second chapter, they, they believe that that's right, um, right at the wedding. I don't know if it is or it isn't. To me, it's really not the issue. So, you know, we're going to look at the verses, but I'm not breaking it down into idols because I haven't studied that. I haven't studied uh, that aspect of it. I know, that, I know that's there. I believe it's there. If you're going to look at it as poetry, but I'm not looking at it as poetry. I'm sorry. I'm not looking at it as a drama. See, there's more flowing here in the book. There is a relationship that begins to unfold in this interaction between Solomon and the Shulamite between Christ and the church, or I'll say the betrothed, because there are people in the church that have no interest in... You know there are Christians that have very little interest in the things of God. They may be interested in church, but as far as the things of God, as far as letting the Lord choose for you, so that's a big thing, very big thing. You know, they, they're not not too interested in that, or they may not even believe that. They may have never taught, been taught that. They have never, may never have read that, and you know, they, don't, they have no idea. Or they'll just you know, slough that off and say, well, yeah, yeah, I, I believe I'm in the will of the Lord, and then they go in and make all these decisions, and 
You know, they're not consulting the Lord. They're not interested. So there, are, and there, are, and and then just to go one step further, there are Christians who have received Christ, but they do not live a holy life. I mean, they're they're out there doing some of the very same things that maybe the Lord initially took them out of. They may, you know, for example, maybe looking at pornography online. Or who knows what, what the men and the women do. I don't know. But I know that there are some that just do not live and walk the way they should. And, I mean, I work with uh, some people who uh, talk about the Lord and praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And then within a minute or two, they're swearing. And people look at that, and what, what does that say? Well, you know, this, this means nothing. It's just religion. But he, he's not even religious. They think he's a big hypocrite. And they're right. And, you know, they'll, they'll do things they shouldn't do, say things, act a certain way in the workplace or toward the supervisor or whomever, and they think that that's okay and it doesn't affect their Christianity. Well, it does. It does. So a person that is like that, they're missing a whole lot. They're, they're not interested in moving into this deeper place. Psalm 42 says, deep calls unto deep. So the, the deep in God calls out to the deep in the Christian. See, there's a deep in you. You know that. And when you come into church and you sit there, there is a deep there. there there's, there's something in you that you want the Lord to satisfy. You want this, this closer relationship with him. And you may not really label it that way, but yet God looks and he sees the deep in you. See, and the deep in God will cry out to the deep in you to draw you out, to draw you up, and to, to draw you up maybe to another plane of, of living with him that you haven't been in before. And so the Christian that is going to come into this interaction with the Lord like that, that really wants him, wants to grow and wants to move on. Well, those are the ones that the Lord is is going to be able to do something with and prepare them. The, The Christian doesn't care and they're interested in their own thing. Then there's not a whole lot the Lord can do. He can save them and take them to heaven. He may do some things here and there in their life. But as far as the qualification, I mean, they may end up being a foolish virgin because they didn't do what was necessary to prepare for the marriage. See, that was the problem with the five foolish virgins. They didn't do what was necessary. They didn't take oil in their lamp. They didn't do what they needed to do. And they, 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 well, they well, well, give us shirts. It doesn't work that way, sorry. Doesn't work that way. So as we begin in these verses, we'll look at some some verses, as I said, that uh, are very difficult to, so to speak, interpret. But we can look at a few aspects of truth, and it, and I don't believe that some of these verses are interpreted one way only. And that's 
holds true with a lot of verses in the Bible. They're, they're like the facets on a, of a, on a diamond. You see the you know, different you know, cuts and the light refracts off of the different surfaces different way. And I mean, as long as you keep within the scriptural bonds with that, you're, you'll be okay. If you understand what I'm saying when I say that? I mean, you don't take something that doesn't line up with Scripture and say, oh, this is some you know, great truth, but it has no bearing on any other Scripture in the Bible. That's how they determined what books of the Bible... To, there were books in, the, for example, the Catholic Bible that were not brought in to this, the Bible that we have here now. And, and the reason being is that they would take them and they would line them up with the teachings of Jesus and and they, there are certain things that were contradictory, so they didn't put them in. So you don't want to take something from a verse that totally contradicts the teachings of Jesus and say, the Lord showed you this. There's people that do that. So we'll look at verses, and I'll bring out uh, certain things related to words to show an aspect, a facet of the diamond. And we're not going to get like way off on that, but just to show you certain things, because as I said uh, if, you, if you follow through here, which I'll point this out of, as we continue on, probably in the second chapter, if we get further on, that there are, there are certain things in, in the Shulamite's life where the Lord, I want to say Solomon, let's just use um, the, the beloved, meaning Jesus, and the betrothed, meaning the Shulamite. In, in the context here. There are certain things that you'll see where through her circumstances, through certain things that occur, she is being prepared. Certain things happen in her life. And see, even if that you can't find that in the literal, that still is a spiritual truth that you can find in the Bible. For the bride hath made herself ready. She did it. That's from Revelation. That's probably active voice, meaning that she performed the action. She, she had something to do with it. It wasn't that God said, okay, here you go, you're done, you're, you're, you're saved, you're a Christian, and you're ready. No, it's, it says there that she, specifically speaking of the bride, she made herself ready. So to make yourself ready, as I said earlier, means for us that we have to have this relationship with the Lord and you know, we need to walk with him wherever that path takes us and we need to um, move in the circumstances that we find ourselves in and find out what the Lord wants us to do. It may be something that we, we're, we're in agreement with. Yeah, I like that. Or it may, may not be. And in my experience, and of course, my experience is not very much, but in my experience, the Lord will test us in circumstances, and he will set a direction for us to see if we're going to walk in it. And sometimes... When we start walking in it, he changes. That's happened to me. You know, you say, okay, I, this is the Lord. I, I believe this is the Lord. And you start to walk in, and the Lord says, no, okay, we're not going that way now. I just wanted to, I mean, he didn't say that, but, you know, 
It's like in spirit, you say, okay, stop. Now you're going to go this way now? So, you know, all that is this interaction between you and the Lord. And that's a very good thing. Now, don't, don't get crazy with this, with this and say, the Lord told me to jump off the top of the church, so I have to be obedient. Now, there's Christians who do all kind of crazy stuff. No, I'm not talking about the crazy stuff. I'm talking about Matthew 4, 4. You know what Matthew 4, 4 is? It's a quote from Deuteronomy 8, 2. I, I believe that most Christians don't know this. I, I really do. Most Christians don't know it, and if they, if they say they know it, they don't live by it. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, this is the Greek. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is presently proceeding out of the mouth of God. So you're not to live by doing this. So the Bible says, this, oh, guys, I've got to do that. No, you have to have this interaction, this relationship, so that you live by what is presently proceeding out of the mouth of the Lord to you. So the Lord may say, well, I want you to go and get involved with the camp. Or the Lord may say, I want you to be involved with a skit. <laughs> Stick my finger in my mouth, please. <laughs> so when she asked me, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Because that's just, just happened. When she asked me, I, I used to sit there and I said, Lord, I'm glad I don't have to do this skit. Because that's just like not me. And it's just like I don't even like it. It might be okay for everybody else, but not for me. So that, that's been, I've been going to the camp for some years now, and I never thought I'd be up there. And then when she said it, I said, no, I don't think so. And it's like the Lord said, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so I have to live by what's presently proceeding out of the mouth of God to me. You see that? So the Lord showed me to do that. I didn't want to do it. I'll be quite honest with you. But then after I got into it, I, thought I kind of liked it. I was the king. I could order people around. You know, it was okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I played it up, though, didn't I? I played it good, huh, Brian? Oh, yeah. Two, two. Yeah. But, uh, you know, for me, I would never do that. That's just not me. I, I, don't, I don't. But I, I could see that this was another thing the Lord wanted me to, to do. And so that is what I need to live by. Man, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that's presently proceeding. So when that came, it was presently proceeding. It's not that, not that something comes every minute of the day. But when something comes and you say, oh, oh okay, I know. I, you know in your heart. You might not even like it. You might not want to do it. You might avoid it for a while. But you might, you know, squirm, complain, cry, pray, you know, whatever. But in the final analysis, you know in your heart it's from the Lord so, okay, now, are you going to live by bread alone or by every, every word that's proceeding out of the mouth of God? Well, okay. See, now that's what you're to live by. See, that's a critical thing for us, very critical. We don't, we don't think it's critical, but that if we could learn and live in that one New Testament verse alone, it, it doesn't really matter what truth you know in the Bible. I didn't really say that, did I? <laughs> 
No, it's true, though. Because if you, if you know, okay, Lord, you know, he shows you this is the way, this is the direction, and you do that, that that's all you need because you'll be obedient, you know, you'll be moving along the line with him. You know, there's so many different things related to that. You'll be fulfilling the law. You'll be walking in the spirit. It's, all, it's just like all these things are related. But our problem many times, and I don't mean our, us, I mean ours as Christians, is first of all, sometimes Christians don't get in the relationship so where they can hear these things. Or the Lord may bring that and they dismiss it. Or they allow their carnal nature to lead them. They live by that. Well, I want to go do this, I want to go do that, and this is what I think I'm going to get up and go do this. And I've said this, uh, maybe I'll read this verse for you. Sometimes as Christians, you know, people think the spiritual thing is not to make plans. But the Bible doesn't teach that. You know, you can make plans. Did you know that? I'm serious. Listen to this. A man, this is, you don't have to turn to Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart plans his way. In other words, you make plans. You go, oh, I think I'm going to go and do this. Okay. Well, that's all right. I mean, I make plans. Okay, well, okay, let's go. Like, I, I, we went on vacation. And, and I wanted to stop at the ocean. That was my plan. So as I went several times, maybe two or three times in that, each time I said, this, this just didn't sit right in my spirit, and I felt the Lord didn't want me to just bypass the ocean, just keep on going. So, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So, so as long as your heart is open for the Lord to direct your steps, you're okay, you can make the plan, okay, I'm going to go, but be open because the Lord may direct you another way, you see. So it's okay to make a plan. But you need to remember that you let the Lord guide you and have his way in that. And there are people, there are Christians who just make their plans and the Lord's not even anywhere around. You know, that's it. That's not even in their mind, not in their heart. They don't consult him. They don't pray about it. And by the way, sometimes when people use that phrase, I'll pray about it, it doesn't mean, it means that I'm saying the spiritual thing and I'm still going to go do what I want to do. That's what that means. So, I mean, it could mean they're going to pray about it, but it doesn't always mean that. So, um, the Lord has, has a lot for us. If we can just live by what's proceeding out of the mouth of God to us. That doesn't, I'm, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize that, you know, like, oh, what's coming out of your mouth now, Lord? No, no, it's just that you walk with him. You go about your normal business. You keep your, the Lord before you, like David says. And then as you go, the Lord will, will direct your path in certain, certain things, or he may bring something to you and say, okay, this is what you need to do. Oh, no, oh, really? Okay, <laughs> you go do it. It's not hard. It's not hard, you know, as long as we're willing. If you're willing, it's okay. He'll, he'll take care of things. Okay, let's start in verse 1. <laughs> okay, before we get to verse 1, let's go to 1 Kings. I wanted to lay a, a little bit of a foundation for the book for you. Were there, are there any questions about you know, what I talked about earlier? 
So as I first started off and I said that the Song of Solomon is probably the most difficult book to interpret, I believe it is, but if you step back from that and, and say, okay, Lord, just show me what you want me to see here through these verses, then he can show you some things. Now, don't get all off the, the, the track because you come to one of the verses and it's like, what in the world is this even in the Bible for? Don't worry about it. Just take it, this, it's deeper than our understanding. Just put it aside. But in 1 Kings 4, verse 29, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceeding great understanding. Now, why did he do that? Why did God give Solomon, uh, you know, great wisdom and understanding? Does anybody know? He asked for it? For what reason? Hmm? To guide the people. He didn't ask for it for himself. See, that's a, that's a good prayer. Remember that. The Lord can give you great understanding and wisdom if you're asking for it for the purpose of helping others. See, that's, I believe that's good. That's key. And if you want it because you want your head to get big and everybody look at you and say, oh boy, look at him. He, or he or she knows so much about the Bible. And the Lord say, you're done. <laughs> you're not getting too much. But see, it's always about the heart and our motivations and all that the Lord sees them. So if you have a heart that really wants to give to people, to help them, you know, to teach them, you know, to be able to see certain things, it's good. So that's why he did that. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan and Ezrahite and Heman, charcoal. Huh, I didn't know charcoal was in the Bible. <laughs> Some of these names, huh? And Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. Now, this is what I want to show you. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Now, let me ask you a question before we continue on. It says here that he spoke 3,000 proverbs. Are they in the Bible? Anybody know? Don't you think about these things? I, as soon as I read these, I'm thinking, oh, okay. So I, I get my calculator, and I go through Proverbs, and I, I calculate every chapter, and I find out, what did I find out? Are they in there, or are they not? Does anybody know? Has anybody ever done that? <laughs> I guess that's why they always told me I'm a unique person. I don't know. I guess I am. I don't know if that's good or bad. But that's only about a third of them. Nine hundred, I think it was 915 was my total. Don't ask me where the rest are. I mean, that, that's not even a third. Is it that, here's a thought. So let's, let's say they're, they're lost. Like remember the book of the law was lost in the Old Testament? And they found it. So they're, they're lost. So does that mean that if they're found, that now you take them and put them in the Bible? 
No, they're, who knows where they are, but I know one thing. God put in there what we needed to know and see and read. So that's, you can rest in that. Because even though he wrote 3,000, is it with 3,000? Yeah, 3,000 Proverbs, not even a third of them were in there. And I didn't, I didn't do the, the calculation on the songs. I just know there's not that many in Song of Solomon. So there's more somewhere, I guess. Okay, let's start now in, now that we laid the foundation for the book. Now, I, I went through all that because there are so many different views as far as, first of all, interpreting the Song of Solomon, how to view it. I read, I read this article, and they listed all the different ways that Song of Solomon has been interpreted over the years. And then you come to the conclusion, and the conclusion said that th this is from all these different theologians that this, they were quoting and what they said about, you know, interpreting this way, interpreting that way, and going on and on about that. And the conclusion was that they have found no really concrete, correct way to interpret the book. <laughs> I read that, I just had a chuckle. Maybe I just wasted my time just reading that. I didn't read the whole thing, I was kind of scanning through part of it. So as I said, there are multiple ways to approach this book. But we are going to look at it as a type, where Solomon is a type of Christ, the Shulamite is a type of of the betrothed, the, the, those in the church who um, have this desire to become the bride of Christ. And we're going to see that interlaced here uh, throughout the, the uh, verses. Now, in, in verse 1, it says, The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And it introduces, as I said, that this particular song... And you don't see that really in the English uh, translation here, but it's, it's actually in the title, it is the best of all the songs of Solomon. All the 105, is 105? Yeah, 105 songs of Solomon. This one is, is labeled as the best of all of them. It's not because that it's translated as this beautiful song, you know, or... It's this, you know, great, great, you know, the way it's, it's poetic and it flows and you have, you know, the idols and all this stuff. It, that's not the reason why I believe it's the greatest of all. It's because it shows or portrays the height to which the Christian, the believer, can move in relationship with the Lord. I believe that's what's, what's moving in here that can be gleaned from, from the verses. So it's not how it's written. It's not because it's romantic. It's not because it contains truth. You see, none of that. But it's, be, it, it's, it's portraying that we can move into a higher place with the Lord. So in, in my Bible, who's, who, verse 2, who's speaking? Does anybody, other than yours, what, what translation do you have? James, okay. Any other Bibles tell you who, who's speaking? Let's see. My NIV does. Oh, it does? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So there, there are, and here, here's one more thing before we continue. You can get four different translations, and I, I'm not recommending doing this. You can set four different translations down and read the same verse in four different translations, and they will all say something different. And what it may do is confuse you. So I would say to stick with the New King James. Because you're going to be following along with, with me with this also. We'll stay in, in the same thought here. Does anybody not have a New King James? Maybe you can borrow one. Okay. So verse 2 is the Shulamite, or who? Is a type of who? The Shulamite is the type of the bride, the betrothed, okay? So she says here, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. So there's two things here. First of all, she says, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And one of the things that you see here is this strong desire that comes out from her heart toward the bridegroom. And see, for any relationship, and we're talking here as far as the marriage relationship, for any marriage relationship to really, really progress or really move into this place where there is a, a better relationship, there, there must be some desire there <clears throat> for relationship. There must be some desire for closeness. So if you have, for example, two people and one, let's say even outside of marriage, let's say two people meet and the one believes that you know, well, this person is the, is the will of God for my life. So, you know, and there's this desire to please the Lord and fulfill what they believe the Lord is opening up and showing them. Still, if you don't have two people moving in that way, the relationship will never take place. And in the marriage, if you don't have two people that have some desire for one another, there will be a breakdown in the relationship. It's just the way it is. Now, now think about this. If we see that and we understand that in the natural, then we should be able to say now that whenever we see the Lord... And in, in that relationship, if there is no desire, the relationship cannot move forward. Do you believe that the Lord has a desire for you? See, now some people won't say yes because, you know, they have no, I don't want to say self-esteem, but I guess, you know, maybe they've been beaten down all their life. And they don't think they have any worth. There are people like that. They think they're not worth you know, the shoes they're walking in. They, they, they think that no one loves them, no one cares about them, including the Lord. <coughs> so, 
So, so now, since you have become a Christian, I believe, I hope, with everyone, that I believe that you see that the Lord cares for you. I mean, if he didn't care for you, he would have let you in your old life. He'd let you in your old way. He'd let you in the bar. You know, he'd let you in whatever you were in before. But no, see, he had a desire for you. And believe it or not, he knew you. He knew where you were. He knew where you, not just physically, but he knew where you were spiritually. And he set out with this desire to come to you, to touch your life, to change your life, to bring you in. And you respond to him. And now you're, you're in the kingdom. You're birthed from above. Now remember this. His desire for you now hasn't stopped. So he sought you when you were a sinner. When you weren't saved. But his desire for you hasn't stopped. Now for, for that relationship here to grow. For that relationship now to move into another place, for that relationship to eventually move into this deeper place, you and I must have a desire for him. Now, that desire can be manifest by coming to church, uh, by waiting on the Lord, by reading the Bible, yes. But even beyond that, it is an internal thing to where in your heart, in your spirit, is this desire for him. You might not be able to articulate that. You might not even know, you know what that means or how to, to bring that deeper relationship with him you know, to, to, to be. But yet that you know, resides in you. And, and I believe that whenever we were born again, we had, the Lord places certain things. So he, he does this and we don't know it. He places certain things in our spirit. For example, when I got saved, I had this immediate, this was very, for me, it was very strange because I mean, this wasn't me. I had this hunger for the word, to read the word. And so I, I would do that frequently. Just about every day I would, I would sit there and read. And, and that leads us, or it led me, and it'll lead you, uh, to this desire for him. When the Lord starts to show you certain things from his word, and, and you know he's showing you something personal, you know, he's showing this, maybe this truth has been there for years and years and years and years since the Bible was written, and other people may know it, but you didn't know it. And then you read it, and all of a sudden it's like, whew. have you ever had that happen? It's like, whew. it's like, whew. I've sat there and read the Bible, and the Lord takes something and just open it up, and I just uh, just start to cry. It's just it just wells up like, wow, uh, Lord, I, I can't believe that that you, the Creator of the universe, this is like so humbling that you came to me and revealed that to me. Who am I? I'm no one. But that's what he does. That's who he is. And your desire for him will be the catalyst 
to draw the Lord into you, if you understand what I'm saying. Into, in, you know, he's drawing you, but he wants, he wants you to have a heart. Lord, I desire you. I desire you. I desire you. And, and with the heart like that, now he can move you on and move you on and move you on. And he can take you into things. And he can take you out of things. And you, you say, I, I never would have believed that I could go through something like that and, and walk with the Lord in it. And even enjoy it. Oh my goodness. Enjoy a difficult time. What's wrong with that person teaching? <laughs> it can be, some things you get in with the Lord, it can be so good. And your flesh is screaming, get me out of this. You can't wait really to get out of it. But in your spirit, you say, this is good. Maybe we could stay here a little bit longer. Not too long, but a little bit longer. <laughs> and, you know, we meet the Lord in another way. And so, the, the words here, draw me. <laughs> let me kiss, uh, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. You know, it's like, ah, oh, I have this desire, Lord, for you. You know, the Lord does come. Do you know this? He does come, and he, at times, can kiss you. I'll give you a little kiss on the, on the cheek. See, you may walk in something, and it may be extremely hard for you, and nobody may understand. Not even your husband or wife. They may not understand what's going on here. You may tell them, but, but th you know this is this is where it is. It's it's in here, and the Lord knows. And so you walk in this thing, and it's difficult. And as you're walking in there, you're in it, but you're in it in the Lord or with the Lord. And the duration of that may be much longer than you think that you can endure. But yet, because you have this desire for the Lord, you stay in it. Now, there are certain circumstances you have to stay in. You have no choice. But others, we can manipulate the circumstances to get out of them. And those ones there are the ones that I believe are, are key. See, because our will and our desire can lift us out, can find a way out, and we can say it's the Lord. Now, it may be, but it may not. And so, if we stay in there, and the duration may be a while. It may be a year, maybe two years. Who knows how long it would be? And all along, it's like, okay, I'm in this, Lord. I'm, I'm in this. I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm obedient. And he sees that. And, you know, we always quote that scripture where it says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. But you know what? That's only one place in the Bible that words that, that verses. Yeah, that's okay. But 
you can be in this thing, and then at the end of it, you can come out, and you come out in this spirit of, it doesn't matter if I stay in this the rest of my life. It doesn't matter now. But you see, because there's a, there's a work that's been done. There's been a completion of, of, of you and your spirit in that. And then you come out, and you're not looking for anything. You know, you're just walking with the Lord. And he comes real close, and in spirit, he gives you a little kiss. Or maybe another way to say that is that well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's the scripture we use. And, and the point is this, that he comes and he moves real close to you to let you know that, you know, you did okay. Do you know, it's pretty nice when somebody says, like, yeah, you know, when you did something, say, hey, you did a good job. Now, you did a good job with the, uh, what's that thing called again, skit? <laughs> oh, I didn't forget. <laughs> you did a good job at the property out there when you were out there and didn't want to be out there. You know, whatever. You did a good job. Whatever it may be. And, you know, people can say that, and it's nice, but when the, you know that, that the Lord is pleased with you in that, that's something different. And I'd, I've, I've had this happen one time with me, and you won't understand it, but I'm going to say it because we're in this book. But one time in my life, I don't know if you won't, probably won't understand this, but I went through something the Lord had me do, and it was very difficult. So, you, you, I mean, because of myself. I mean, other people would, maybe wouldn't be. But you know, the Lord has you in your circumstance, and he will have you do certain things that maybe will be easy for someone else, but for you it will be the most difficult thing you've ever done to that point. So the Lord had me do this particular thing, and... I struggled and struggled. I knew it was the Lord, so I, I, you know, a whole week I worked up to work myself. Okay, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. And you, know, you pray that, and the Lord is saying, it doesn't say anything, you know. So, Lord, I, I need your help. I don't have strength enough. And all along, I was like, yeah, you have strength. You just got to do it. You know, just make up your mind. You're going to do it and do it. So, when it was, it was such a difficult thing and there was such a struggle in my inner man that after I did that there was in my spirit was this like release and the Lord came upon me and I just wept for like a half an hour because and 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 the Lord showed me that this was intercourse spiritual intercourse and that's never happened before or after, I mean, since then. Before that or since then, it's never happened. But it did happen once. And the key for me was doing what was proceeding out of the mouth of God. I, I knew what I had to do. And so doing that, 
and the struggle and the difficult and the, you know, the working up to that to do it was extremely difficult. And then what transpired was what I did not want to transpire. And that's what I believe was the catalyst for this whole thing. And it's just like, poof, it was, it was this, this release in my, in my spirit. And, and so in that, it wasn't like the Lord walked over and kissed me, you know what I'm saying? But I knew that, that I, I was pleasing to him in that. Now, I, I might not have been pleasing in other things. You understand what I'm saying? I may have dropped the ball. But in that, I didn't. And it's nice when the Lord comes and, you know, somehow communicates to you that, you know, you, you did okay, or you did good, or, you, you know, you, well done, or gives you this, in spirit, gives you this kiss. It's nice. And nothing can satisfy you. You know, people can say it, you know, you did a good job, and, and that's okay. It's nice. But, it, you know, there is within us, in our heart, the way we were made, you know, the Bible says we were made spirit, soul, and body. So when, when the Lord made our spirit and our soul, see, there, there, there's an interconnection there. So in our spirit, there is this place that is very, very deep. We don't know the depth of the spirit, of our own spirit. We don't know the depth of that. And... The Lord is the only one that's big enough to come into that expanse and bring satisfaction. And, you know, the one scripture that we quote, uh, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? So a person can gain the whole world, all the wealth, you know, uh, lands, uh, houses, uh, money, success, uh, wives, husbands, whatever. And all of that combined, all of it, all of it, all of it, combined, cannot bring satisfaction in the inner man because that is such a large expanse. It's, it's, just, it's just big. And so God can come and he can touch your spirit, and give you times of satisfaction. And nothing satisfies like fulfilling the will of God in something, doing what the Lord wants you to do in something. That, that's just something that it just takes place within you. And you go, oh, that's really nice. And you keep on going. And, you know, whatever, whatever that may be. I mean, there's times, in, and I've said this before, when I don't want to come and teach, and I'd rather stay home. I'd rather rest. I'd rather close my eyes. You know, with the Lord, I'm not prepared. There's too much going on here. Uh, you know, all that. And yet, you know, you do what you have to do. So the Lord shows you to do something, whatever it may be. You know, teach a Sunday school class. Oh, boy, that's, that's not easy. It really isn't. I don't care what age you teach. Dawes is a little more difficult, right, Dave? That, I mean, even the young kids, 
you know, when you teach the, those classes, you know, that's not easy. I mean, you, you're, you're in the middle of teaching something, and all of a sudden, you know, can I have a cookie? You know, it's like, are you listening to what I'm saying? I went through all that. I taught every age group, so I know. <laughs> I'd rather be upstairs. But it's nice being downstairs, too. I mean, it, it helps you out. I mean, it, it, develops, it develops the person to teach. I don't care what age group you teach. You, know, you spend time you spend, you know, studying. And you, know, you, you learn to take something with you. What was I saying? Oh, so, uh, you know, there are times when you don't want to do certain things, but then you get up and you do what you know you're supposed to do, and what happens after you're done? You have this satisfaction that comes, you know, in your heart. It's like, where do you think that came from? Just because you, you know, you, you, you read and you taught. Like, no, it didn't come just because of that. It came because the Lord was watching and anything you're doing in his will, he's watching. Well, he's watching if you're not doing things in his will too, but, but he watches that, and at his particular time, whenever that may be, you know, he comes in and there's, there's just something that, that occurs here in your spirit. And, and, you know, you get done and you say, wow, I think I received more than everybody else. <laughs> and you may have. So, it's good to have this desire. We only got through two verses, okay. I wanted to go through a lot more verses, but that's all right. We'll go as far as we go, right? But it's good to have a desire. It's very, very good. And that's something I believe. If, if you and I are going to progress in our relationship with the Lord... Or if we are going to uh, be drawn into this preparation, which I believe we're all in that now, all of us, uh, then what's going to help that along? What's going to be one of the keys? Remember Jesus said uh, to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. He didn't mean some literal keys. You know that, right? It's a key to a door. There are certain keys in the Bible that unlock certain things. You know, there, there are keys, for example, your obedience unlocks certain things. And you can even see in for certain verses the conditions of the verse. Well, the condition there in the verse is the key. And what we need to do is fulfill the condition or the keys to the kingdom, you take that key and you fulfill the condition, and when you fulfill the condition, that's putting it in the lock and you're turning it and it opens it up. See, it's not about just, you know, like they had the little boxes, you pull the scripture out and that's the scripture of the day. Well, I mean, that's okay, the Lord may speak to you through the scripture, but claiming a scripture, you know, as far as I'm concerned, is not worth a hill of beans. See, what's proceeding out of the mouth of God? Well, that's a lot. That's, that's different. So here, to, to progress in this, one of the keys that will unlock the door for you as a Christian is going to be the desire that we see in 
verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. And actually, the word love, and I don't know why they didn't translate it this way, but if you look that word up, well, you probably won't be able to. I can. I look it up. <laughs> but it's a. Uh, it's it's plural in the Hebrew. So in the English, it should be loves. So we know we know that the Lord loves us. He, he his love has come to you right through Jesus. I say, but now you're going to progress in the relationship. And you will find out, if you probably already have, that his loves are better than wine. See, his loves. That doesn't sound correct. It's not correct English, but it's correct as far as the context is concerned here. He will show you this here, his love here, and this love here, and this love here for you in your walk, and, and, and his loves are better than wine. They're better than wine. Okay, let's stop there, and we'll continue next week. Scripture I said, rivers of living.